Serenissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair and beauty source and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today, Arganissima New York. Your beauty is our duty. Dr. Cheryl Bryant-Bruce, MD, the Celebrity Doc, and we are here with Chatters That Matters. Let's talk about it. I am here with my show host, my co-host, none other than the fabulous Hisham Elenmonti, Hurricane H. And we are here to bring you a show that educates, informs, and entertains you. This is your show. We want you to participate, throw up those likes, throw up those shares, and by all means, join us in the chat, and we want to hear what you have to say, questions. We have answers. We also have some phenomenal guests on this show. Every time, all the time, our guests are exciting. And tonight, in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, we have two, not one, but two, clinical psychologists. Now, these aren't just your ordinary clinical psychologists. However, these guys are doing some really interesting and different things. We have Dr. Jay Faber, who works with the Amen Clinic in Southern California. And he is both a licensed clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, but he also is an author and he will in a few minutes tell us all about his book escape and we also have with us dr stephen schuler and dr stephen is one of those uh unique whiz guys that is in the moment working in the digital arena and he's going to bring us into the now, which is was just yesterday, the future, but here we are, and he is doing digital mental health, and he works with a company. He's he's known as One Mind Cyber Guy, so he is going to tell us all about that. So this show again is dedicated to mental health. And we're going to be talking about some of the the challenges that we're seeing. Again, we're in this 50th anniversary of of hip hop. And, uh, you know, we do tend to deal with a celebrity clientele who have some unique challenges. But mental health is universal. And so 
anything we talk about applies to anybody that can talk about it, uh, ourselves included. So for any of you who are out there who are wondering if you might be crazy, just know that the entire world is crazy. It's like ice cream cones. You just have to pick your flavor. So we are going to have a good conversation about what is mental health, what's being done in mental health, uh, different ways of meeting mental health challenges. And the key emphasis is on the word health because it doesn't matter what kind of mental health issues you have going on in all seriousness, we are not crazy. We may not be as healthy as we need to be, but even for people who are very unhealthy, we really have to focus on the fact that most people are more healthy than they are unhealthy. And most people just need a little help figuring out how to be healthier. So that is what we are going to do tonight. We are going to talk about mental health, how to be healthier, what kinds of tools are out there, and what kind of tips these fine gentlemen have for us. So let us start with Dr. Faber. Welcome, Dr. Faber. We are so happy to have you on the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you're doing. Yeah, so my name's uh, Dr. Jay Faber. Um, I'm, for the formality piece, I'm a double board uh, psychiatrist, both in child adult and adolescent psychiatry, but I've also got a degree in uh, integrative functional medicine from George Washington University, which has really helped, uh, I guess, morph my practice and bring the mind-body piece uh, together. And then, as you mentioned, I've written a book called Escape, How to Rehab Your Brain to Stay mm -hmm. Out of the Legal System. And it's for those out there who've had, unfortunately, and it happens more common than we like to know, have yes, gotten themselves into legal problems. And um, the, the book basically gives five uh, premises, things to work on. And if you do these five things, you're pretty much going to stay out of the legal system. It sounds simple, mm -hmm. but the things, once you start doing them, it, you, you see where the challenges are. So exactly. that's a little bit about me. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's just go right there um, for starters. You're talking about people being in the legal system yeah. because of mental health issues. Um, let's start off by just addressing the fact that anybody can land in the legal health system because you know, people have these misconceptions that certain types of people get there or people who are in the legal system are there because they've done something wrong or they're they're bad people and sometimes that's true yeah sometimes i mean there are, there are some bad players in and the legal system but a lot of the people that end up in the legal system it isn't by actively choosing to do things that are counter to what's expected talk to us about that well, it's like we talk about bad people. Um, I personally see it as more bad brains, uh, unhealthy mm -hmm. brains. And mm -hmm. if and, and why do I say that? If you look at prison system, substance abuse, 85% have had some history of substance abuse. There's a traumatic brain injury. It's seven times higher rate in the jail system than outside of the jail system. Now, mm -hmm. my question is this. 
are these people who have brain health problems getting these addressed while they're in an institutionalized setting? Or mm -hmm. are they being punished? And I think we're coming to a place now where we need to start asking some some deeper and I think tougher questions. Great author, friend of mine, Jamie Mustard, says this almost sounds like a public health crisis. Yes, yes, it does. And I, I, and I think that one of the big questions that has to come with that question is, are we just dumping people into the legal system to extract them from society for whatever reason? Or are we putting them in some place if they're not just hardened criminals that are there for life because they murdered 20 people or whatever? Are we putting them into a place where they can be rehabilitated and brought back into society? And if we are putting them in a place where they can be rehabilitated and brought back into society, what are we really doing to facilitate that? Because to just say, oh, well, we have them in, in group therapy and we've dumped them on medications. I think that you as a psychiatrist would agree with me that those medications can help to, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? They can help to keep people on even keel, but very seldom do they fix the brain to alleviate the problem. Can we agree yeah. with that? Yeah, no, mm -hmm. I think you're getting back to why well, I went back and got a three-year fellowship at age, you know, 58 mm -hmm. in in integrated medicine because I, right. you have people come in it's like i'll give you a good case a lot of people come see us they're depressed they want they they want to get their, their brain scan what's the lock and key what medications and then one gal I'll never forget she came in and she's been on you know umpteen um antidepressants umpteen anti-anxiety she wouldn't get better so she mm -hmm. came in, she saw me, I said, looking at your brain, here's what you need. Well, guess what? We tried it. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I went back and looked. I said, this person spent a lot of money to come right. in here. Mm -hmm. And so I went and looked back at her labs. They, did they teach us this in the residency? My own personal opinion, not as much as no. they should. No. <laughs> uh, sugars are high. Thyroid's low. Her CRP is high. And then I'm like, well, what's CRP? I said, you know what? And she's overweight. And it's like, mm -hmm. this is not a, it's, it, there's something beyond her brain. There's something inflammatory going on. Metabolic syndrome. Yeah. And so we need to get a lot more creative, a lot more cutting edge, a lot more on top of the information to get better. I had somebody who um, I knew had a history of inflammation. She got bad again. She went into the hospital. And she came out two weeks later on six medications. I had her a nun. And I, and I think that's almost criminal when we well, do that to people. It, it gets even crazier. The The doctor at the residential treatment center, after she got out of the inpatient unit, called me and says, listen, she's still psychotic. She's hearing voices. She's seeing things. I, and, and the only thing the medications are doing is sedating her. Exactly. Exactly. And so without going into a lot of details, because this person hadn't had as much training in inflammatory conditions uh, uh, and some things we're learning now, I said, listen, I go, just do this because I've called the hospital four times and they never called me back. They've called the mother or the mother's called six times. They haven't called back. Mm -hmm. um, 
use a binding agent. There's certain things I use this person because she was not under my care. I said, use a supplement. I said, second, call a local compound pharmacy, start low-dose naltrexone, uh, and see if it doesn't help. This doctor yeah. calls me back two, two and a half weeks later. She's now two meds, and she says, how do you know all this stuff? And I said, what do you mean, how do I know all this stuff? I go, well, she's doing a whole lot better. She's not paranoid. Mm-hmm. She's not hearing voices. I go, there's something inflammatory going on. And all these meds we give, to your point, the increase or block neurotransmitters, the problem mm-hmm. is if there's something inflammatory going on, they don't work. It's sort of like if I had a sore throat exactly. and I see a doctor and they say, well, here, take this, take Prozac. Well, I got a sore throat. Why give me Prozac? If you got something inflammatory, you've got to give something that's going to help the inflammation go down. So I'm being long-winded, but I'm trying to make a point. You're spot yes, on. I totally get it. And I mean, you know, one of the things too that you you, you said, and I was like, yay for him, is thyroid. Thyroid. You know, people go in and they get their labs checked and using traditional labs and traditional tables and traditional measures. And they say, hey, your thyroid's normal, but their thyroid is not normal. You know, they're clinically new thyroid, but in actuality, they are hypothyroid. And until their thyroid is fixed, you can throw all kinds of junk at them, supplements, medications, hormones, until that thyroid is fixed, the whole system doesn't adjust properly. And so, I mean, I was just loving it. When he threw thyroid in there, I was like, yes, he is a true integrative functional medicine man. So, and it's just, it, it really gets my goat, makes me crazy when people come in with these scads and bags of medications, because in no studies, have more than three medications been tested together. So once we start throwing in more than three and you're getting to four, six, you know, 10 medications, I've got patients that come in with a sack of medications. We have no idea what's going on in their system. None whatsoever. And all of those symptoms that are, that are going on and uh, things that are making them seem emotionally completely labile, like they just can't control their emotions, oftentimes have nothing to do with them whatsoever, but with the things that we're doing to them. Um, It's humbling. I think it offers a lot of opportunities for the, uh, the, the healthcare people who are unweary of learning. Mm-hmm. To make a huge difference. And I think we're at a crosswords now where are we going to yeah. listen to symptoms, listen to symptoms, or yeah. listen to listen to symptoms, but listen to their heart and no body from head to toe. So you can really right. actually make a difference to help people. You said the beautiful word, health. That's how mm-hmm. we want. Mm-hmm. If I just look at the brain, guess what? I, I can't do to the health. The thyroid, everything you just yes. said is spot on. Yes. Yes. And brain health is absolutely crucial because if the brain is sick, the body can't be fully healthy because the brain regulates everything about the body. So brain health is crucial. Now, let us get an intro on Dr. Schuler 
and find out exactly what you're doing because you're doing some very, very different things than the traditional things that that we do, even though we're doing some really exciting things. You're in a world that we're not real familiar with. So tell us about Dr. Schuler and what you do, why and how you do it. Sure. So I do a lot of work in the area of digital mental health, really trying to understand how we can leverage some of these novel technologies to be able to help support people in need of mental health services. Uh, so I lead a project, as already mentioned, uh, called One Mind Cyber Guide. You can check us out on the web at onemindcyberguide.org, where we evaluate a variety of these different digital mental health products. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I'm also a faculty in the Department of Psychological Science at the University of California at Irvine, where I work to help train the next generation of clinical psychologists. And okay. one of the reasons why digital mental health is a really important topic area right now is because there, there just aren't enough mental health professionals that are out there. Um, one out of every three counties in the U.S. doesn't have a single licensed clinical psychologist. Um, about 50% of the counties in the U.S. are right. mental shortage zones, which means there aren't enough right. professionals. And what if you're in a county or a place where there's one person and you go and you see them and they don't jive with you? Like, or <laughs> <laughs> now you're out of luck. And so yeah. I think a lot of interest has been trying to think about how we can create more scalable models, ways to reach mm -hmm. people um, who aren't able to get services otherwise. And in a lot of mm -hmm. other countries, in Australia or the U.K., Digital treatments are sort of frontline treatments. If you go talk to your doctor before they give you medications, before they give you therapy, they're going to recommend one of these digital offerings for you to try out. Um, not that it's going to help everyone, but there's some people it might be beneficial for. And there are a variety of these different tools that are out there, um, 10 to 20,000 of them. And that's a lot for people to sort through. And so what we do at One Mind Cyber Guide is we do some of that sorting and we do that evaluation to help consumers make informed decisions about which tools might be the best picks for them. Okay, so tell us exactly what are these digital tools and what are they doing? I, I know there's like 20,000, so they're probably doing 20,000 different things, but just in general, what does that mean? Yeah, they do a variety of different things. So I think that there are some tools that are meant to be sort of self-help products, things that you can go download, you go to the app store, you put in depression, anxiety, and you can download these tools to try to help you manage the conditions you're dealing with. And these could be things um, like Headspace and Calm or pretty popular ones that maybe many people have heard of. Um, they might be based on different established treatment techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy, products like MindShift or Wobot. Um, so something that you would use instead of going to a, a mental health professional. These can be good lead-ins if you're on a wait list or don't have anyone who's available to you in your sort of area. There's also mm -hmm. platforms that kind of connect you to doctors, virtual care platforms um, that connect you to a provider um, through the platform itself. Some tools are tools that are being used in conjunction with therapy. Um, the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administrations have developed a lot of these tools that sort of augment or supplement traditional evidence-based practices. And then there's tools that kind of combine all of the above. So it's a really big space where there's a lot of innovation going on. Um, and these tools can provide a variety of different things to help consumers get the help they might need. Okay, so let me ask you something, because it's something that we have discussed back and forth amongst my colleagues. We were wondering the traditional clinical psychotherapy model was to be, you know, in a room with the clinical psychotherapist. And if you go back far enough, there was the couch and the whole, you know, the, the whole image. But is digital 
psychotherapy as effective and why? And my speculation, I mean, we've been back and forth with, with, with this. And my speculation on the matter was that in some ways it can be more effective for the reasoning, the, the same reasoning that people get on Instagram or whatever social media, and they're bold, emboldened to tell things that they might not ever say. But because there's this box, it gives us enough distance to feel safe and secure. And yet it brings us in close enough. I mean, here you and I are having a conversation and we're looking directly into each other's faces, you know, directly into each other's eyes. You know, there is a closeness that creates a communication here that we might not otherwise, if I'm sitting and I've got my barrier space and you're sitting across the, the room from me. So it creates different connections. Does that affect psychotherapy? Well, I think it's, first off, it's important to say that there's no one size fits all solution. Like mm -hmm. nothing's going to work mm -hmm. for everyone. Right. Um, different Absolutely. people need different things. And I think that that's mm -hmm. one reason why I think it's really beneficial to have these digital tools to just grow the menu of options to say mm -hmm. like, you know, there's a different thing that might be out there and, you know, maybe this could work for you. I think there's a lot of also reasons why um, psychotherapy is really inconvenient, especially the way we've created in this country. Like if you want to go see a therapist, you've got to you know go to your insurance, find a whole list of people, call them up, make an appointment. Um, and that, that, you know, hopefully you'll find someone. Whereas if there's some opportunity to get some relief or a skill or something in the moment that can really help you, um, that can be a real win. Um, I also okay. remember when I was um, practicing, there was one time a client I had who uh, drove or rode multiple buses each way to see me that took him two hours to get to my appointments, two hours to leave, 45 minute session. So they're spending four, almost five hours just to come see me. And it wasn't because I was a great therapist. I will say that it was because like <laughs> there was no other option. And so now I think we're providing people more options, right? You yeah. can access these tools from the comfort of your own home. You can do it on your own time. Um, with some of these digital tools, if they are these sort of self-guided type things, you can take it on the go and use it at the point where you really need that extra support. And that can be really beneficial for some people. And the evidence suggests that these digital tools, when they're used in conjunction with some form of human support, are as effective as our gold standard psychotherapies. And when they're used on their own, they're sort of small to, you know, they, they lead to some benefits. They're not as robustly effective, um, right. but can still be beneficial. And again, for some people, the, the question is not digital tool versus therapist, it's digital tool versus nothing. Um, so right. I think that exactly. there is some benefit of having that human connection. It helps take, keep people accountable. It's a good check-in. People can help problem solve some of the challenges you're facing. They can make it relevant, the tools and the services relevant to sort of your unique context. Um, those types of things I think is really beneficial. Um, and that's where we see the most bang for your buck. But, uh, you know, again, it's not, that's not an option for everyone. So I think we have to think about how we, how we grow the pie of what's out there for folks. Right, right. And I want to just take this moment for our audience to differentiate, because there's always that question, to differentiate the what it means to be a clinical psychologist and a clinical psychiatrist. How are those different? Um, Dr. Faber, I'll let you go ahead and address that. Um, I mean, I think the biggest way to differentiate is just the education piece psychiatrists go to college 
get a four-year medical degree, MD, and then do a residency in adult child psychiatry or both. Um, so there's that piece. I'll let Dr. Schuler explain the psychological piece if he wants to, since I didn't go that route. Yeah. So as a clinical psychologist, um, I did not go to med school. Um, so I do not know how to prescribe medication. Um, I don't have that training in that background. I went to a PhD program, which is a professional program that um, taught me how to do therapy, do assessment. Um, clinical psychologists do a one-year pre-doctoral internship that's pretty similar to medical residency. Um, I did mine at the University of California, San Francisco. And then they have to complete 2,000 hours of supervised postdoctoral training before they can get licensed as a psychologist. So um, the training that I received is much more focused on providing sort of psychosocial interventions and assessments. So doing therapy, doing cognitive testing, doing IQ tests, um, those types of things. So psych clinical psychologists are not prescribing medication. They're doing therapy or other types of um, psychosocial treatments to try to help support folks. So again, they're, they're actually within the same field, but there are two different focuses. And as Dr. Faber said, Dr. Faber is an MD or uh, a clinical psychiatrist can also be a uh, doctor of osteopathy. Dr. Schuler is a doctor, PhD doctor. So they are both doctors, but they have completely different focuses. And, you know, again, as Dr. Schuler said, if you're coming looking for medications, he's not going to be that guy. If you're coming to Dr. Faber, he is not, and you don't expect him to spend hours doing your clinical psychological counseling because they are two different areas of specialization within the same bigger field of psychology and psychiatry. Um, so just wanted to get that clarification because it's always a question. <laughs> Which one do I go to and why? So I just wanted to make sure that uh, people understood that. Now we're talking about these digital tools. Uh, Dr. Faber, are you seeing those being used down at the Amen Clinic? Yeah. I mean, we use them and uh, we actually like them. I mean, Dr. Schuler mentioned um, the Calm. We like Calm. There's one called Brain HQ, which, has, which helps with brain games for cognition, brain.fm right. for anxiety. So yeah, they're popping up everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, I would agree. It's like this, the, the reality is this, you're going to see me, you're going to see Dr. Schuler half hour, an hour a week at most, you know, and my biggest concern, and I think Dr. Schuler concur what the Lord's name goes on after you leave the office, you know, um, and how can we accentuate, build upon that to help your, your, your brain health psychological health get better. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really important point because the patient is with us for such a limited period of time and the actual growth, the prevention, the health maintenance, the creation of health actually is the job of the patient. We are just tools that are given to the patient to help them modify their own health. They are the masters of their own health destiny. So patients need to understand that. We don't fix anything. Medical doctors don't fix anything. Psychiatrists don't fix anything. Psychologists don't fix anything. You, the patient, are 
responsible for your own self-empowerment, for your own self-improvement, for your own self-care. We're only here to guide and direct you. Now, that being said, I'm going back to the beginning of the show because I forgot to put in the disclaimer, but the disclaimer is I am a medical doctor. I am not your medical doctor unless you are contracted with me, nor is Dr. Faber, nor is Dr. Schuler. We are here educating and informing, but None of this information is applicable to you as an individual. So if anything that you hear that we say is resonating with you and you want to utilize it for your own self-care, be sure to talk with the people who are providing your specific health care um, because you're not our patient. We haven't contracted with you that way. And so we don't know your background and anything that we're telling you. This is general information that we're providing. Your provider can provide specific care. So we are not giving out health ed advice as your providers. Just keep that in mind. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, Dr. Faber, um, is one of the approaches that I've used in managing brain health um, in patients who are basically brain injured, because basically that's what we're talking about. Our, our brains have been injured in some way, shape, or form, whether it's uh, medical, whether there's been a, a TBI, whether there's been such trauma that we've offset our hormones and our chemistry and our brains so that inflammation is, is created there. Uh, if we have brain illness, if our brains are not healthy, there's inflammation, there's stress, there's inflammation. And that's the bottom line. All illness starts from stress and inflammation. So when we have a setup where we have inflammation in the brain, are they using, and, and, and I know that they, they have, but actually I, I kind of want to know how much is it being utilized? Hyperbaric oxygen, therapy. How much is that being utilized for brain care down there? Are you talking about the Amen Clinic or just in general? Both the Amen Clinic specifically, yeah. and just kind of in general, because I mean, you know, it hasn't been done as much in the past. And I'm hoping because I've been working with it for a gazillion years now, I'm hoping that it really is uh, as we're starting to see integrative medicine move into mainstream therapy, I'm hoping that hyperbaric is coming with it. Well, I can tell you at our clinic, it's, I'd say probably 35, 40% of our patients, if not more, get hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Clinically, with the inflammation piece, I'd say 75 to 80% of my patients, they don't need antidepressants or any anxiety. They've got something inflammatory going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it's be, it's more common uh, at our clinic. I think it's actually getting even more common. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think residencies, you're going to see like fellowships coming off of a neuroinflammation <laughs> um, you know, as well. What do we you're do? making a happy camper out of me here because yeah. uh, I've been working with it sheesh, um, since the 90s. 
And, um, you know, back, back, back then it was snake oil and, and there was a lot of drama surrounding it. But I, you know, I'm a firm believer and have been a partaker. There was a, an article in uh, the San Francisco Chronicle that showed a picture of me in the chamber with my, my young son and the difference that it made for, for him. He had TBI and the difference it made for him was astonishing. He would go for a, a dive and the next day when he go to school, the teacher could tell that he had been for a dive, even if we said nothing. He's like, oh, Gregory must have been in the chamber because he was fabulous today. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the difference is there. And there used to be the pushback and the uh, the argument that, you know, it was great for diabetic wounds, but, you know, there was no space for it in, in TBI. But I, I, I think that we're really seeing that that is not the case. And I'm hoping insurances will be jumping on board for us to, uh, to promote this health promoting treatment. if you wanted to see if you want to see a before and after picture i could probably pull one up if, if someone wants to share a screen i don't know if we got the time sure. but uh, uh hurricane can we uh, can we pull that picture up uh, let me just make sure we can do that and uh definitely all right you'll you, see quick... you, you can do that all right you're gonna you guys are gonna see my screen Let's see. I'll go down a few here, right here. Thanks, right here. Okay. So this is a picture. This is one of my patients when I live back in Atlanta. This is what nine years of NFL football does to you. Mm -hmm. the, this is looking at your brain from the top down, bottom up, right side, left side. Should be all smooth. All these bumps represent lack of blood flow. All right. Mm -hmm. That's it. This guy had an MRI. Guess what? It was normal. The structure is fine. The blood flows horrible we did 40 sessions of, of hyperbaric and here's what his brain looked like a month after that wow that's beautiful oh. now is this a pet scan or a spec scan this is a spec scan so in our this office spec, we do yeah. spec scans mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. couldn't get out of bed was drinking like a fish picture one and now at least by some six years ago that when i lived in atlanta he was selling mm -hmm. pharmaceutical goods Mm -hmm. and 12 hours a day it's crazy wow. and it's wow. like people and think wow. oh hyperbaric and it's like and i when i started i thought this and it's like no it's there's some truth and there's a lot more data yes to yes. back this up so i'll stop sharing yes. now. i'm sorry for that but i thought i'd at least give no, you no it's that. beautiful i you know i hope that our audience appreciated it as much as i did <laughs> i loved that so well when you have somebody in your family Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Hope when you see things like absolutely. that. So. Absolutely. And I mean, there are so many areas that it can be utilized in. And, you know, we think about different areas. We just talked about stroke last week and we didn't get to talking about hyperbaric. But, you know, again, that's a TBI. And, uh, you know, one of those areas is a lot of people are having issues. I mean, drugs is a huge problem in our society right now. And a lot of people are having issues, behavioral issues, and ending up in that legal system because their brains are ill. You know, the drugs are affecting inflammation in their brains. And we see them as throwaway people when they're not throwaway people, they're sick people. And if we can heal the brain, then we can correct the problem because a lot of the people who are using these drugs, even quote recreationally, are self-medicating 
underlying pain, whether it be physical pain or psychological pain, they are self-medicating damaged brains. So I, I think that I, I'm hoping that that really pushes to the forefront in the future and becomes one of the first line treatments before we start throwing drugs at them. So now let's talk about the digital things again. Um, and since we're doing show and tell, Dr. Schuler, do you have any kind of demonstrations or, or pictures of some of the sorts of things that you all utilize in terms of this digital health? What does that look like? I can definitely bring up our One Mind Cyber Guide website that has some or some um, demonstrations of some of the range of these different things. Mm -hmm. So this is our website here at um, onemindcyberguide.org. Um, so you can see that you can find a variety of different mental health tools in our app guide. Um, so you can sort of sort things based off of different types of treatments, cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, um, to look at some of the different mindfulness products that are out there. Um, another thing I'm really proud of that we did recently is that there's a lot of focus on um, technologies for youth. Um, youth are high mm. user technology. About two thirds of kids have actually downloaded a health app many times for mental health concerns, for stress, for anxiety, for depression. And we just put out recently a, a guide that reviews some of the different digital solutions that are available for um, teens, for people 13 to 17. Um, and so in our um, teen digital tools and solutions for teen mental health, we review some of the different products that are out there for teens to really talk about um, what are these tools that people are using. And I will say, um, I'll stop share here for a second, but, um, you know, I, actually even my son who's seven, he came into, uh, I was cooking the other day and he came into the kitchen. He's like, daddy, what are your financial triggers? And I was like, excuse me, he's like, you know, when you get stressed and you start buying things. And I was like, how do you know this? And he's like, oh, from the Headspace app. And I was like, when did you start using Headspace? He's like, oh, mommy gave it to me. And it was just amazing to me. Like, I mean, Maybe not all the things I think he should be taking away. I don't know how much he has to worry about his uh, financial triggers at seven, but he's learning some different skills around self-regulation. He loves the Star Wars content that's in it. He's learned his um, Wookiee breathing and things like that. And it, he, it gets through to him in a way that other things wouldn't. And so I do think a lot of these digital tools, one of the benefits is that it can really create experiences that are, are relevant and meaningful and understandable to, to different um, folks and different, you know, different ranges and different um, walks of life. Like I have a hard time communicating some of these concepts to, to my son, my seven-year-old and Headspace has found a way to get through to him with um, R2-D2 and Chewbacca. So I think that's right. the benefit of these tools is that they really create experiences that are immersive, are meaningful and relevant for, for people in different um, aspects of their life. Right. I, mean, I mean, I think that there is some benefit. The gaming thing is being used across the board in tons and tons of industries. And I think that one of the benefits of the gaming is that it isn't actually indeed fun and it's non threatening. It doesn't feel therapeutic. And 
using anything that's therapeutic makes us feel like we're somehow sick or damaged. And nobody wants to feel that way. So if we can better our health doing something fun that feels like a game, why wouldn't we do that? And it's something enjoyable when so much of the stuff that we have to do in life is not necessarily enjoyable. Adulting usually is not fun. So if we can sit down and be a kid again by playing a game, and that game is therapeutic, beneficial, imparting knowledge, so on and so forth, I think that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I agree. There's an app called Personal Zen that uses a technique called cognitive bias modification. So essentially, Mm -hmm. some people, they struggle because they pay more attention to negative information than to positive information. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, Mm -hmm. that leads to a lot of depression, anxiety, etc. And so this Personal Zen app is a game where you, you know, much like a lot of these games you might play on your app, you follow this little sprite around the screen and um, you try to track it down and it's actually doing this cognitive bias modification in a gamified way. And so mm-hmm. packaging some of these effective interventions that have been developed in um, the, you know, the classic way you do this is like a little dot probe task on your computer, not right. so fun. Right. But making it in a fun way that's, um, you know, you can package and take on your phone, I think is a real um, exciting potential to really take these interventions to the masses in ways that are, again, relevant, meaningful, and immersive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, I can't say enough for the practicality of that. When my kids were coming up, I actually homeschooled them. And one of the things I did, because I was dissatisfied with the, the school system that we have here, I grew up out of country, and so I was exposed to different school systems. Um, And one of the things that bothered me was the way that math was taught and the impracticality of it. And, you know, young children, the way math is taught here in the U.S., tend to have a difficult time with the abstracting. And so I used the Singapore math program for my kids. And the reason I did that was because it was very practical and real world applicable so that it made just inherent sense to the kids because it was what they were doing. It was what they were living. It was totally immersion into the math that's surrounding them all day, every day. So it just made good sense. And I I think that this gamification kind of thing um, does that because it puts us, it immerses us into the world of the game. It's completely interactive and, There are some that, I mean, we were all different types of learners, but I think that most learners learn best by interacting in in some way, whether that's auditory interaction or visual interaction or actual the physical interaction of playing with the the games helps to, to trigger those neurons to actually start integrating the material. And so, I mean, I just... What a neat way of doing things. 
I think we're going to see a, a whole lot more of that. And I think that it's going to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of watching all this technology happening and, you know, as we're, we're getting into meta and, you know, all of the, 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 the all of the spaces, I'm like, oh, this virtual reality thing is kind of <laughs> messing with my head. It's like, so what's real and what's not real? And, you know, are we all really in the matrix? <laughs> so it takes your head in different directions. It'll be interesting to see where we land with all of this. Now, I do have um, a question for both of you, and it's a perception question. And I'm, I'm not even sure if it's a perception question. It, it may be a data question. But in your opinion, in your perception of things, are we in a mental health crisis? Do we have more mental illness are we emotionally more sick today than we were in the past? Or is it just that we now are seeing it? Because, you know, we have all this social media, the, the entire world is now connected. So everything's kind of out on front street. And whereas we used to tuck all of our stuff into the closet and everybody thought that we had perfect lives, now people are becoming more and more open to saying, hey, my life's not perfect, no matter you know what realm of life I'm existing in. I'm not perfect. My life's not perfect. It's okay. And I have challenges. And I, it, to me, it just seems like people recently are much more willing to reach out for help. And I think that part of that belongs to COVID. I think a lot of people melted down during COVID and we hit a crisis. But is, is that your perception that we really do have more mental health stuff going on right now than we ever have? Um, the, my, I'll give you some data and then I'll give you my perception because the data is to me insane. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is like the 2021 Journal of Child adolescent psychiatry, don't tell me the, the, the name of the article, but there's a new term, emerging mm -hmm. mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they looked at in Dunedin, people from age zero to 31, mm -hmm. how many at any time had a mental health issue? Mm -hmm. I thought it would be like 40%, 50%. It was 81.3%. I go, this is, this is crazy. So it's okay. not in my mind. <laughs> no, it's not in your mind. Now, second, which we, we're just getting to know, and Stephen's probably going to, just from a psychological field, he'd be able to tell more, but there's a lot of data coming about secure attachments versus insecure mm. attachments. Mm -hmm. And at least in this country, now, maybe um, in your country, it was all different, but 50% of people in this country have secure attachments where the other 50% don't. I mean, it, which... Right. Which, when you look at what happens to relationships, what happens when people have a problem, who do you talk to? It, it just complicates the situation. Um, and now, how are people learning this, these yeah. kind of relationship habits? Who knows? Maybe TV. I think a lot personally just in family. Yeah. And yeah. we don't know. We don't know how mm -hmm. to connect. Yeah, and, and I, I I do uh, agree with you there. And this is actually my country. I'm a military brat, so I lived oh. out of uh, country because I was a military brat. So I lived all over the the world and did get to see different cultural experiences on how they did family and attachments. And I think you're right on point 
with with that, that, you know, secure attachments versus insecure attachments do make a huge difference in how we negotiate and perceive our world and how much internal stability we have. And that could be an entire another conversation. So we're not going to go down that path, but that, I mean, well stated and definitely uh, on point. Um, so Dr. Schuler, can you address that for us? Yeah, I, I think that there was a mental health crisis before the pandemic. And so I think that some mm -hmm. people sort of have a sense like the pandemic really set it off. And I, I think that that's, that's not really true. I think that there, there were a lot going on before that. I think if we look over, you know, longer periods, I do think we see more mental health challenges now than we did, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And mm -hmm. I think there's a couple of data points that really do concern me. The um, CDC recently put out um, the recent results of the youth risk behavior survey and on all sort of metrics of youth mental health, it, it's looking bad. Um, right. Rates of isolation are up, rates of suicidal ideation are up um, and, and really concerning levels. And I, you know, I know our local community has been struck by way too many, way too young um, uh, deaths by suicide, which are just yeah. so unfortunate. Yeah. Um, the Surgeon General just put out a, uh, an advisory on loneliness um, and like what an epidemic we have of that in our nation, mm -hmm. despite the fact that we can be so much more connected, um, we are, you know, so lonely. Um, I think one thing I'll just sort of note is I think a lot of times technology has been blamed for a lot of these things. And I think that the research doesn't bear out that technology is the culprit, especially not for everyone. Um, I think that there's a lot going on. Um, I think that, you know, people tend to, you know, move around more. So they have less connection yes. with their family and their local community. I think. Yes climate change, we have generations that, um, you know, uh, economically are not going to do as well as the generations before them on average, um, which makes it harder to have huge stress political unrest. There's mm -hmm. a whole lot of really challenging things are going on that makes sort of being connected, having a sense of purpose and meaning and hope for the future more challenging. And those are really important things for our, our mental health and our mental well-being. So I, I do think we need to think, um, very carefully about sort of holistic views of how do we support the mental health of folks? How do we help people be more connected? How do we provide the support of um, folks that we need? I think I, I am really concerned about those things. And it's it's not simple solutions because it's not, this is not just something that, you know, one-on-one -on -one therapy or medications are going to make go away. These are structural big problems we need to address um, in our country and in our world. And we, we have Ricky Aaron uh, on with us, who is my talent manager and who has brought these guests to us. And one of the things that Ricky provided earlier, because again, we're, we're doing this whole 50th anniversary of, of hip hop. So we have a lot of focus on music and musicians and the, the entertainment world. And one of the pieces of information that Ricky shot over to me earlier today, and because I had an extremely busy day in the clinic, I didn't get to look at it as much as I wanted to, but I actually was heading straight down the rabbit hole because I was looking at the list, which took me to other lists. And I was just going, geez, Louise, this is really pretty impressive. I was looking at the number of songs that in some way reflect on mental health and mental anxiety. Music is an interesting thing because musicians 
they write and perform what they what they feel. It's a, a way of communicating. And the number of these songs, one of the highest focuses was on anxiety. The number of these songs that talked about anxiety, depression, suicide, insecurity, many other different aspects of, of mental health. I mean, addressing things like, like bullying and the emotional weight of, of bullying and the loneliness, as you said, you know, loneliness is in a crisis level. And, you know, it doesn't mean that people are sitting isolated and alone. I think some of the loneliest people are being surrounded by other people, but not connecting on the deeper level and don't feel comfortable that they can connect on the deeper level. So I was, it was just fascinating going down through the list. And it also made me pay attention to the lyrics of the songs. Hey, Ricky, I saw, I saw you pop up there. Um, it, it made me pay attention to the lyrics of the song because, you know, we hear the song, it's got a nice melody. Oh, I really like that. Or it's got a nice beat. Oh, I can dance to that. And, but we don't really focus in on the words. And as I'm, you know, scrolling through these songs and focusing in, on the areas, I was just amazed at how many songs are indicating how much pain is out there in these artists and how they're trying to uh, address it, how much a part of their world that is. And I think that it's very interesting and very healthy. You know, I agree with you that COVID did not cause this mental health meltdown. I think that what COVID did was unmasked the, the problem because what happened was people have been flying around with all sorts of distractors around them that made them look okay, you know, and, and allowed them to put up this mask of I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, see, we're okay. But beneath all of that, there was a lot of pain and angst. And all of a sudden we got locked in and we didn't have all of these social distractors that we could use to hide behind. And so all of a sudden it got real, real between people who were locked in in the same household. Um, it got real between people who were on this box face to face and felt secure enough to bring out feelings that weren't always nice you know, feelings. And it got real, real for people who were so isolated that they really were islands during COVID and didn't realize they were islands because they had all of the distractor stuff around them that was distracting them from realizing, I am standing here alone with not a freaking soul in my corner. So I think COVID was just a big unmasker for a lot of people. And it showed people just how non-resilient we are, how undeveloped our or underdeveloped our coping skills really were. And so I think for a lot of us, we're relearning new coping skills and we're taking a much 
harder look at ourselves. We didn't have to look at ourselves before because we could be distracted by everything else. But now we're being forced to look at ourselves and say, who am I and what can I do to be a better, healthier me? So I think that some of these tools and some of these um, innovative ideas that we're coming up with, um, whether it be digital health or integrative and functional health, I think that to that effect, healthcare is getting healthier. Because we had a disease management model, you know, we did not have a health promoting model. And I think there are a lot of things that are driving us in the direction. And a lot of that is the patients saying, look, you know, we're tired of all this and we want to be healthy. And how do we do that? So what are your tips? If you could throw out some tips and say, here are some things you can do for better health. And here are some things to look for that say that you may need some help. What would those things be? Um, I can start. I mean, I think you've stated it well, Stephen, is find somebody to connect with um, and be real and be able to smile, be pretty, but simultaneously let the pain out. Um, two, um, this whole world that the words came up, resilience, uh, you can put mental toughness in there, problem solving. We need to either come up and have our youth. And I think parents read or learn at schools, what these word hope, what these words mean, mm -hmm. not only here, but yes. here heart. And that's, I think that's where the magic comes um three um my thought is if you feel something that just doesn't feel right and you're not sleeping you're not feeling good um find somebody that can help take the curtain off like you said because that's kind of think what happened during covid mm -hmm. uh, to to discover what what's out there and that there are yes solutions for the for the angst mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i kind of I, I i like the term the great unmasking and uh, I used to do a whole uh, speech, a whole topic on um, mask and the mask that, that we wear. And I think that I'm going to pull that speech back out of the, the can and uh, start utilizing it again, because I think it is an, an important thing for us to see and, and, and recognize. And we have a desperate need to unmask. And um, that's where the healing will begin because as long as we're hiding behind the mask and as long as you know we have the smile plastered on and we say i'm okay you're okay everybody's okay everybody gets a trophy that nah, we're not going to heal and we're going to just continue to drown in our in our, our pain dr Schuler, what tips do you have to offer well, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier about, you know, an hour not being enough. It's like, you got to do it in your life. And I think that mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, you are what you repeat. Um, 
these things are just tools. Oh, nice. The digital tools, like it, those are not the change makers. You are the change maker and you are what you repeat. Um, it's a process. It takes time. I know it's hard, but you gotta, you gotta keep at it. Um, and I think that, you know, opening up to someone and getting help is a real important first step and translating those things in your life and putting the work in is, you know, it, it's a journey and it's not always linear. So I think um, committing to the process and taking it into your hands, but also doing so in consultation and support with something that could be helpful, that could be a digital tool, that could be a professional, that could be a family member, it could be a peer. Um, there's lots of models of things that help. But um, I think, again, just you are what you repeat, so keep it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the important things is for us to create safe spaces for each other because people are mean right now. People are really mean right now. And in order to do this kind of work, there has to be vulnerability. And when people are working through and unmasking and and trying to reach out and get support and or be supportive of other people, I think that we really have to be kind. We have to be accepting and allow each person that vulnerability. And that's not saying, you know, just go out and bear your entire chest. Here's my heart, stab me in it. It's all good, you know. But in order for someone to expose, you have to give them enough grace to say, I see you, I hear you, and it's okay. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be fake because there are a lot of us that are walking around, uh, you know, they say, fake it till you make it, you know, here, let's, let's fake the funk. You know, there are a lot of people that are walking around very fake and they're fake because it's the only place they feel safe. They don't feel that they're living in a world where it's safe enough to expose who they are with all of the frailties and imperfections that we have. It isn't okay right now in our society to be imperfect. It is becoming okay as we're seeing more and more people uh, masking. And I hate for celebrities to have, have meltdowns because they are real people with real pain and real experiences too. But I think the fact that there have been so many celebrity meltdowns in recent years where you know people have said, I'm hurting and I need help, allows everybody else to, to be able to say, well, if that person with everything they've got going on and all that appears to be good, still can have real pain and can say, I'm hurting and it's okay, then maybe I can do that too. And maybe it can be okay for me too. And particularly with jobs, um, with jobs, people are afraid of losing jobs if they are dealing in mental health um, issues. But I think it's really 
important for jobs to leave space for people to become healthier. So, you know, that's kind of my tip for uh, takeaway is, you know, whether it's at your job or, or in your personal life, be authentic to yourself and take care of your own mental health. Empower yourself. Make the unpopular choice, if you have to, to self-care. Because at the end of the day, you are the singular person that you are the most important to. Each of us is like little rats running around trying to get our needs met. And it's up to us to meet them and to find the resources. And when the resources are offered, to utilize those resources. And I'm so glad that we have resources like you, Dr. Schuler, that we have resources like you, Dr. Faber, who can help us on that journey. Thank you, Dr. Brian Bruce. Hurricane, do you have any questions? Have, have I missed anything? Uh, you've well, just you've sat there with this satisfied smile the whole time. <laughs> well, I, listen, I mean, I, I I'm just absorbing it all as always. I, I'm the not clinician in the group, and I'm just thinking. I think about me as as your patient, right? I'm listening. I'm also a pro, you know, mental health, as you know, doctor, and I I push for it. And uh, you know, I mean, I do have a couple of you know comments or or just add-ons quickly. Uh, you know, uh, first is you know I I love what Dr. Faber stated about the idea of uh, the a lot of health, the mental health has to do with the physical health and, and the inflammatory stuff and all those conditions, including the drugs and things like that, which sometimes you don't think about it. Like we think about mental health as the anxiety, the stress and all the stressors or, you know, the things, the triggers that do that. But we don't think about the physical aspect of it and all the things that we are being exposed to, such as bullions or like in this case, drugs. And And you're right, the people that may be in the legal system you know, if you are in the same mind and everything is functioning well, there's a good chance you're going to know what you're doing and therefore you're not going to do a compulsive or impulsive rather, <laughs> you know, action. And then that's going to be like regret. And most people make it in a spur of the moment. And before they know it, like, what the hell did I do? And then it's too late, right? It's over. I mean, yours gone. So it becomes, that's a big deal. So, so the link between the physical and the health and the mental piece, I think that's a big, you know, takeaway from all of us here because uh, there's what we hear that healthy mind, healthy body, you know, that whole connection. If you don't take care of this, you know, th this doesn't work. Uh, I also love what Dr. Shul, you, you stated the whole piece about the digital and the future and, and the resource, because at the end of the day, as you both stated doctors, you know, how much time can you possibly give someone, uh, you know, and f between the time they see them and the next time you see them, unless they're really an institution and being seen every day, that's not going to work. Many people do not, they're not going to need that. But they do need that support and those tools can help them, you know, maintain uh, until the next session and even sometimes, you know, be the the triggers like like in, in the fitness world, we have that you give things to do at home, like homework <laughs> to keep you going until you have the next session and it helps and therefore you can do it. And finally, doctor, I think the biggest picture here is that, um, you know, our health is our wealth, as we say, and mental health is part of it and nothing is worth it. Nobody is more worth it than yourself and your health. If you're watching and listening, it is about you. This is, this is your piece. You know, uh, don't allow anything to stress you. I know it's difficult to say, uh, I mean, what you talked about jobs and, you know, it happens to the best of us and it happens all the time. And, you know, 
if you let that get to you, it's not, some people have more resilience than others. There's different ways to, to tackle these things. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you can do it yourself, there is, there, there are resources, whether, you know, seeking the resources through, you know, the providers that we have, you know, and the specialists or, you know, inquiring about those resources that are available. But I do have a question, Dr. Schuller, is that uh, for the tools that you have, that you, you showed us on the website, are those available, you know, publicly meaning that someone just can do can go and, and download them and, and, and use them, or you'd have to literally at least understand what they do by talking to a specialist first, such as yourself. And then you'll describe those, you know, uh, you need probably form one, two, whatever method, one, two, three, system, one, two, three, software, one, two, three. And then you guide them through what will be best for them. Cause I, I think if I go to your site and I look it up, I might not know. I mean, I'm, I might just finagle around and play with them. But I may not know what's good for me, but you will do some sort of an assessment, I'm assuming, to do that, right? Correct? Am I getting that right? Yeah. I, you know, at our website, we review and break them down on some different dimensions. And so if you kind of know what you're looking for, it's a good place. But if you, you don't know what you're struggling with, I think talking to a professional first is a, a good first step. I think I'll also note like a lot of um, if you have insurance, it could be that your insurance might have some of these tools that could be available for you. So actually... Mm -hmm. Kaiser Permanente has a suite of six different digital tools that they've identified um, for their members. Um, my health insurance actually provides a digital cognitive behavioral therapy platform that I could use if I wanted to. And so um, there might be some of these tools that are available to you that you haven't you know, realized are available to you that if you mm -hmm. have insurance, there might be some coverage. So it's a good place to, to look. So I think you know, talking to a professional is always a good starting place. Um, and I think the other thing I often note to people is that, um, you know, if you try one of these tools and it doesn't work, that doesn't mean that you're hopeless and you're not going to get better. And so I think, right. you know, having a professional involved is always a good, a good way to help sort of sort through some of that. So, so Docs, I, I am the insurer. <laughs> I represent the insurance space. And, and you talked about insurance in a couple of times. Uh, and so that that does introduce the idea that this is something that has to be, you know, there's a cost to it. Obviously, there's coverage to it. And so so I know, for for example, in some commercial space, you have these things available because there's there's that part. Right. Uh, you know, in the government programs, not so much. I mean, they do have behavioral programs and things like that, but uh, you don't see them doing a lot. Some health plans may be more inclined to actually get into it. I mean, Kaiser is obviously one of the, the the top ones in the nation, especially in the you know the Pacific side. And you know, there's a lot of work they do, and and they're very integrated in a lot of ways. Uh, but a lot of nationals are doing their best to get there. But I mean, it is it is definitely a message to all the insurance out there and the payers, you know, to maybe especially if you're in the government programs, is maybe to bring that discussion. I, I personally, I will start having the discussion, you know, in any of the <laughs> you know consulting discussions that we have, to see maybe it's something to introduce in terms of benefits or whatever. I mean, there are limitations from, let's say, the state programs or the federal programs where you might you might not be able to 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 add things and, you know, where did that cost going to come from and things like that. So these are some of the things. But certainly, you know, there are ways to get access to these things. And I, we just want to make sure that people know that they're not limited, but they just have to know how to navigate the system in a way and have access. A lot of these things can also be if you do need, you know, something and you get a prescription or you got a, somebody, a specialist that says you need something like that, sometimes you get overrides, you know, in terms of the insurance space and they can get you these, these authorizations, you know, for these uh, offshoot, you know, programs and things like that. Now, again, there's always exceptions. Uh, just know that you can talk to your care management, things like that, to be able to, to get the assistance that you need. And, and of course, uh, you know, that's the only way to do it. And of course, the other way is to pay for it. And then again, if there's a cost, it depends what that looks like. And I have no idea what the cost is. So, <laughs> so that's it for me.
Okay. All right, then. And again, as always, for our listeners, Dr. Faber's information, Dr. Schuler's information will be on the website. So you can reach out to them if you if you have further questions. Uh, you can reach out to us and we'll reach out to them to make connections and, and such. So any of our guests that you see on the show can be reached so that you can gain access to, to further information if you need it. So please do use them as resources, do use us as resources. And, you know, we are at the point where it's time to wrap up uh, another good conversation and uh, everybody head off into the rest of their, their week. But we have enjoyed sharing this experience with you. We have enjoyed sharing the information that these illustrious gentlemen have provided. And we invite you to come back because we do this often and we do this regularly. And these shows are available to you 24 hours a day on all of your favorite platforms. We are live on the air Monday and Wednesday evenings, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, both virtually and on the radio. So you have two ways of, of accessing us. And if you can't catch it, then you're living in a completely different part of the world and it is three o'clock in the morning and you're not getting up to watch us, then, you know, go to one of the other streaming platforms and you can find them, whether you're catching it in Facebook or you're catching it in YouTube, there's somewhere that you can catch these shows. And we are glad to have you joining us, like, share, and please, by all means, comment. It's been another fabulous week. Gentlemen, Dr. Faber, Dr. Schuler. We thank you both for being with us, and we hope to see you again joining us for some other interesting topics. Ricky Aaron, thank you for, as always, bringing us exceptionally good and talented guests. And uh, Hurricane, thank you for being my, my ride or die on the show. This is Chatters That Matter. Let's talk about it. And you've been with us for another episode. Remember, you are your greatest asset. Invest in yourself. Have a fabulous week.